Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Madeline Reed, played by Academy Award winner Marsha Gay Harden, accidentally learns of her husband's infidelity when she, when she saves his sexy young mistress and that would be uh, Lenore Waddling, uh, from a bungled suicide attempt. When her unsuspecting young rival suggests that the two new best friends take each other's advice on everything, Madeline sees an opportunity to seize the upper hand. And and we'll just leave it there, because I, I think this is a great setup, and uh, I want to uh, start... Uh, first of all, uh, we're joined today by the director of If I Were You, uh, director Joan Carwigan joins us today on Film School. Welcome to Film School, Joan. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I really uh, appreciate this. Uh, you're very welcome. And uh, I, I I struggle with this often um, with um, talking with directors about their films, and with yours in particular, uh, about not giving away too much of the plot. Um, I think the setup is just very clever and very well done, executed. Uh, and so... You Thank help. You. Please help me with with how much of the plot that I should be talking about and giving uh, giving away. Because really, the joy is in watching uh, all of these different relationships unfold in very fun and at times very dramatic ways. But uh, tell me a little bit about the inspiration for "If I Were You." Well, uh, oddly enough, the very start came to me in a dream. I've had about three times when I dream, I dreamt the start of screenplays, and it, I dreamt about this woman walking down the street and looking in a restaurant window and seeing her husband with another woman and immediately having this feeling like that she, like the shock and the horror of that, but feeling it was there, she didn't want to feel like a victim. Was there some way she could kind of take control of this information, the situation through this information she had and no one knew she had. And then I woke up and thought, okay, that's a good start. Now where do I go from there? So I just added the bits and pieces from there. But I start with the first page and just keep writing. And so I really appreciate what you're saying. I mean, we all hate, you know, you go to movies, you see these trailers, and they give away everything in advance, and you feel there's no point to even see the movie. Absolutely. And uh, not to single – well, I'm going to single out one film that I just recently saw the uh, trailers for, not to pick on it. I, I know it's a good film, but The Impossible. I don't know if you saw it or you saw the no, trailer. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, tra- yes, you're right. Yes, they give away the ending, yes. Yeah, they uh, give away the ending. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, I mean, there's lots of trailers where you see all the best stuff in the trailers. That's one thing, but to actually give away the key plot points is just—I uh, don't know why anyone would do it, but I guess they did. Anyway, that's that's for another they, I, discussion. I read, I read an interview about that. They said that they wanted to show that it was happy. They didn't want people to think it was a sad movie. And and that's what I suspected was—they didn't want you to think that these people were washed out to sea and never to be seen again, which. You know, just your own personal movie viewing history would tell you that's probably not why they did the movie. They probably didn't make a, uh, you know, a hundred or seventy million dollar film to to leave you depressed and angry over the fact that they didn't survive. So I, and, I, and are people so fragile too? Like, yeah, is it that yeah. we can't take a depressing movie? I mean, we used yeah. to watch. You can have very depressing movies that are nonetheless quite life affirming and deep and powerful. Yeah. Like, we we shouldn't all be treated like we're you know little children. Right. Right, that we need the happy ending every time. Anyway, all right, enough about the other films. I want to talk about your film. Uh, first of all, so it came to you in a dream. Uh, obviously, you worked on that premise, and you were able to expand it. Uh, and um, Now, I imagine in, in the development of this 
plot, this plot point, once you hit on the idea of these two women advising each other on everything, a lot of doors must have opened up in your process. Yes, and just also the the conflict between the two characters, that they were so different, and I didn't want them to be enemies. Like, I knew from the start that I, I don't like all these movies, you know, where women, you know, women can't get along, and there's a sort of basic notion in society, you know, we must choose between Jennifer Lawrence and Anne Hathaway. We can't like both of them. And so I really wanted something that showed, uh, you know, not like fatal attraction, you know, and... So that having them so far apart, and then how do I move them together? That was that took care of a lot of the story. Right. Well, and I think with this, with the the film, you're able to show that they this kind of running against the stereotype that women can't get along, especially women. Well, in, in what's interesting about this is they don't. Only one of them knows that they're that they're actually competing in some sense with one another. But it shows this natural affinity for getting along, which I think is an important part. And it also helps the audience, myself, bond with both of these characters and feel. I mean, you know, there's a, a little bit of what is Marsha Gay Harden's Madeline character going to make uh, um, Lucy do, which you know, sort of the intrigue of it. But at the same time, they, I, I, I felt, uh, I felt bonded, if that's the right word, with them. I felt uh, I, I liked both of them right away. Yeah, they are both basically nice, even though they start out seeing each other as, as enemies. I mean, Lucy not thinking Madeline that way, but thinking of her lover's husband. Right. Her lover's wife is this horrible, horrible monster. Right. Now, but, uh, you know, in fact, they're both, they're both, when I, when I talked to Leonor the first time, we had a conversation on the phone about it, and, she, and we were saying, well, every woman's been both characters at some point in their life. They haven't necessarily actually had the affair or, you know, run off with a married man or something, but, you know, we've all been in, fallen for someone who was with someone else, and we've all had someone, you know, fall for someone else, and it's, it's pretty universal. Now, uh, this film has, uh, um, one of the uh, strengths of this film is it has a lot of, a lot of characters very well defined characters everyone in their uh, as you know the, the husband um played by played by jo- joseph, joseph Cantel, yeah and aiden quinn they they appear v- very quickly within the film in the context of the film you you know a, a lot about them um and i think that's a testament to the writing as well as the cast and i do want to talk about the cast of people you were able to attract marsha gay harden which we talked about and uh, as well as um uh, I'm just blanking out. Lenore, um, Leonor, Leonor, Leonor Wadling, Le- and Aiden Quinn, and just so tell me, tell me a little bit about that process for you getting uh, these people in, involved in the project. Well, I had before, just before I started the script, I was just channel hopping one night, and I came across this Spanish movie. My mother, my mother likes women, uh-huh. and it was about three daughters who find out their mothers become a lesbian, and they pan- react in panic. And the youngest daughter was, I thought, she was like a sexy Woody Allen. I mean, she was so funny and so alive, and that was Leonore. And I didn't even know if she spoke English, but when I wrote the script, she just stayed in my mind. I just kept seeing her play it. So when she finished, we, my husband, who's the producer of the film, David Gordian, he tracked down her people in Spain. It was very hard at first. No one spoke English, and we were worried she wouldn't speak English. But she did, and, uh, and she was unavailable, so that was sad. And then I talked to her on the phone, and then she just changed her schedule around, and she's in a big Spanish rock band, Marlango, and that, but uh, she changed her schedule, and uh, she made herself available. 
So I was ecstatic there. And then on uh, on the Madeline role, I wrote I wanted to write this really difficult role for a woman because I hate all these, you know, wives and girlfriends and mom roles for women, which right. are really really boring. Right. And so I wrote this role is, you know, it, it's got so much in it. And, uh, and I finished it and I sent it to our casting director, Mark Palladini. And I said, there's no one who will play this. Like I've written a part too hard on our schedule. We've got 25 days to shoot, no rehearsal time. No one will do this. And, uh, he said, no, he had worked with Marsha before. And he said, Marsha K. Harden has guts and she, she'll do it. She'll do it. And he called, uh, her manager, Mary Ellen, uh, Mary Ellen Mulcahy and we read it right away. And Marsha came in really quickly. I was incredibly lucky. Well, yeah, and and uh, now it's been my experience in talking with filmmakers over the years that when you get someone like Marsha Gay Harden involved, uh, Academy Award winning, by the way, for Pollock, <laughs> and, uh, it 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 obviously helps with the financing and the and getting attention from distributors, et cetera, et cetera. Was that the, was that? Uh, I mean, you just between these two women, and, and then Aiden Quinn, did he come in after Marsha? Yes, he, he had worked with Marsha before, and he has the same management company as Marsha. Okay. So they were talking about the script, and uh, so, um, you know, we were thrilled, but he really wanted to work with Marsha again. He, enjo- he had enjoyed it so much the previous time, and we didn't need them for financing. We were fully financed. We had... Uh, a lot of, uh, I'm a Canadian, uh, we shoot in Canada, so there are a lot of Canadian film incentives through the government, and we had private investors who were absolutely supportive. They were, you know, cast who you love. Don't don't think about sales and all of that. Cast the people who are best for the role. So we were really, really lucky there. Oh, that's there. awesome. What a, what, a, what a luxury. That seems such a dogfight, it seems, for most independent uh, uh, films, uh, you know, in the U.S. anyway, to get any sort of financing at all. And um, But... I want to point out, I mean, uh, uh, Lenore uh, Waddling reminds me of um, a little bit of Mira Savino. Um, She's a very, I I was intrigued by her physicality in this role, uh, very expressive, I should say, uh, in, in the role of Lucy. Yes, it's funny because I had seen her before and not even realized that she's in Almodovar's Talk to Her, where okay. she's naked and comatose through most of the movie. Okay. And um, that seems like a real waste of Leonore, you know, because she's just this delightful physical actress. Yes, yeah, she really is. And as far as Marsha Gay Harden is, I mean, no one has to, you know, I mean, her, her she's her body of work is remarkable. But um, one of the small roles, and it, it's somewhat similar. I, I don't know why in tone anyway. Was well, she'd seen Whip It uh, with her as the, yes, the mom. yes, yeah. I, I was true. really moved by what could have been a real clunky role in in that. And I feel that 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 sense of her in this as well. In uh, if I were you, by the way, <laughs> speaking with the director of If I Were You, uh, and written and directed by Joan Carwigan, uh, it comes out next um, on March fifteenth, so next Friday it, it comes into theaters. Um, but Marsha's just terrific. She's absolutely, and you're right uh, when you say, in my opinion, uh, where you say when uh, this is a very difficult role. You bounce from broad comedy to drama, up close and personal interaction, a kind of husband and wife stuff. And then Lear. Yeah, I just Lear. And I just love that. And by the way, is that is am I giving away anything if I talk no, about No, that's out there. So yeah, yeah. That's in that's in the trailer, so. I just loved that that the at all of this and that theater uh, uh, company was wonderful kind of comedic relief and they were all very I just love that part of the film as well. But the fact that uh, this they all t- they take um, they take on these roles within King Lear, and I just it's really just it's, it's such an intelligent uh, plot device, and I'm 
Thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and Marsha, I mean, I often feel like people don't understand completely what, what the difference is in making a giant studio movie and making a little movie like ours. I mean, in terms of what the burden is on the actors. And, I mean, Marsha had no rehearsal time. We just had a table read through, that's all. No rehearsal time. You know, she had to do all of that Lear in two days. Wow. And it's, I mean, I don't know anyone else who could do that. And, you know, big Hollywood movies, you know, they... You know, they, they just shoot a tiny bit a day, and they can come back and do reshoots. And, I mean, Marsha was exhausted and just, I mean, she's amazing. She could not have been better. Well, I, if I'm thinking back on the film. I think she's in every scene. I'm not, not exactly Yeah, I think so- there's three tiny scenes without her, but yeah. she's in virtually everything. Yeah, that's right. When when uh, Joseph Kell and, and Lenore um, have their little talk. But, he, but yeah, she's in, <coughs> pardon me, she's in. Sorry, I know you have a cold. Um, yeah, she is, and yeah, there's a little bit with Joseph Kell. Let me tell you about the casting of Joseph Kell too, because he's he's writing and directing. He and uh, he's married to Valerie Mahaffey, who plays Lydia in the movie in real life. And we know Valerie, and we worked with her before. And uh, he, uh, so I knew Joe, and that's such a tricky part, the husband, because he has to be likable, and you have to understand that Leonor thinks she could have a real future with him. You know, she's not a delusional girl. So he has to be attractive, and he has to have a certain boyishness. And so I desperately wanted Joe for it, and I knew he was writing and directing. So I, I begged him, and, and fortunately he came in. So we were so lucky. Yeah, he is. He's terrific. He really is. He plays all of it at, uh, the uh, uh, very well. Uh, and I really like the lack of sort of histrionics that, that usually accompany a lot of movies where relationships are sort of falling apart and you see the kind of this over the top sort of reactions uh, by on all parties part um not here i mean obviously the anger of seeing sort of this um this marriage in trouble and uh, at such but it it's all played very um very believably but that also adds to and i always find this to be the case when you play a, it believably it makes the comedy and the drama that much more resonant Yes, that, that's what that's Marsha. Marsha was also so generous with the young actors; like she really took them under her wing. Mm-hmm. Especially, the, we had mainly theater actors for the Lear players. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of them from uh, the Stratford Festival here, and uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, they hadn't worked with film much before. And Marsha was, and actually with two cameras, they were very confused at first. And Marsha <laughs> was so helpful with them at at every stage. And I thought, I think that the kindness that she was showing to them you know, came through in the atmosphere also, like, that I wanted in the film, that basically it was a tolerant film. Like, there, there, there is no bad guy in the film. Right. And, and that's often, I mean, is often the case in real life. That's, that's yeah, the way exactly. it plays we, out. We all screw up. We all screw up. And, uh, but uh, in, in addition, to, and I, Aiden Quinn comes in uh, just a, a very, um, it seemed like, an, I know, the, it seemed very easy uh, uh, in terms of his character. I'm, I'm trying to say this the right way. He's a very, it's very, believable in the situation that uh, that Madeline and him find themselves in initially at the the rest home and and how it plays how their relationship plays out seems it just seemed so refreshingly adult in the way that they their interactions and moving forward their relationship also which is an excellent kind of interplay with them he's a wonderful actor like I, I was just in awe like he just came in because he obviously was only there for about five days and he just comes and, you know, the camera starts going, and he's, 
you know, a, a fully formed character is there. Like, it was really astonishing. He wasn't even there for the table read-through. And uh, I, I was stunned by his work, really. I guess that's what I mean when I say easy. He just seems so natural. And I guess that's what you're saying when, from your experience. There were times watching, uh, Valerie Mahaffey was saying that, there were times with uh, Aiden and Marsha when we would forget the camera was going. Like, we wouldn't even know, was this Aiden and Marsha, you know, just talking together or were they doing the roles? It was it was that natural. They were they were really phenomenal to watch. You know, it's funny because I, I went back and watched it again, and and so when the, the second time through, I like to look for kind of techniques or things that actors are doing in in their role to kind of accentuate what it is they're trying to do, and just little things. Uh, him at the funeral home, and he gets the the package and the ice cream and. Watching the way that he just even as simple as this reads the note, and the, yeah. it's just very fluid. He's a very fluid actor, and yeah, we forget. I mean, he's one of these actors that you forget in a way about because it looks so easy. Maybe I don't know. And then when you see me, go, oh my gosh, I, I really like him. He's he's always he's solid, and he's solid in this role. By the way, we're speaking with the director of If I Were You. We're speaking with Joan Carr Wigan. The uh, film comes out on March 15th in theaters uh, throughout Southern California, and I assume we're spreading out across the, the country as well. Yes, and we're also available on VOD. And on VOD. Yeah. Uh, so is this iTunes, or are we all uh, a whole, different Apparently it will be available in over 100 million households because Warner's picked up digital rights by way of Gravitas. So, um, you know, I'm in Canada, so I don't really see that much of that. But um, we have, yeah, apparently iTunes, Amazon, and... Uh, local cable operators, however, works. Well, congratulations. That's uh, that sounds. You know, that's a great, a great. It's pick. great for a little movie like ours. Really, you feel a bit like you know the, the British poet Stevie Smith. You know, uh, you know, not not waving but drowning. That's how you often feel as an indie filmmaker. Like your film is just sinking away and no one's even noticing. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. That is always the travails of yeah, of what what independent filmmakers. Yes, you just don't know. By the way, I want to talk. I mean, just mention uh, you your previous film. Uh, uh, previous engagement. Uh, you had a great cast with, with that one as well. Um, I've been very lucky. Yeah, that had Sarah Juliet Stevenson, who is just, just stunning. She, yeah. is, she is wonderful. Be, with her and with Marsha, I've been in heaven. I've been, I'm a very lucky director. L- let me ask, because just a little bit of background for, for those of us who think that someday, maybe possibly, we could find our way in front uh, or behind a camera someday. I have in the bio about you that you were a former economist who decided to get into the film business uh, a little bit later than than in my in, in my forties with yeah. my husband as well. He was almost fifty when we got into this business. It's crazy. I, I think lots of people want to reboot their lives yeah. at that stage, but um, I don't think I would have done it. But my husband is one of these, you know, well, let's go out and make it happen kind of people. Yeah. And uh, so we got into it, and you know, I, I love it. Like before that, I was an economist, and I homeschooled our daughter for a long time. The left-wing hippie homeschooling, not the new Tea Party homeschooling. Right, right, and, right. And uh, yeah, we got into this, and it's 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 been bumpy, but very rewarding and a lot of fun. Well, and and I and I don't know if this is cultural bias on my part by saying this, but being Canadian, it does seem from where I'm sitting that the Canadian society culture is much more. Uh, likely to support the arts and much more willing to put the money behind the arts uh, than we do here in America. So I, I, it sounds like you've had, you've had, you've benefited somewhat from that culture. Is that is that a accurate? I think I think a lot of it's more of an industrial thing. I think it's just more. Um, we happen to have a 
left wing for you guys, but right wing government right now. Yeah. But there's a lot of tax incentives to bring production there to create jobs. So I think it's much more of a job strategy here. And for mm-hmm. some reason, the U.S. Some states are like Louisiana, but uh, yeah. in Canada, it's very much a, a job strategy, and it's, it's worked. It's worked quite well. Yeah. No. It had, it, and um, well, and to our benefit, I've had it. All, it's funny. In the last couple months, I've had quite a few uh, Canadian directors uh, uh, on, and. Uh, I think that's a testament to the film industry. I mean, um, uh, it's a it's a vibrant film industry, often overlooked here in the United States, but nonetheless, there's some great films coming out. By the way, before I let you go, just got a minute or two here. I didn't want to get away without letting at least mentioning Valerie Mahaffey, who I see pop up here and there. She's on Seinfeld. She does all these different interesting kind of roles, uh, going quite a ways back now, and I always like her. I hope she gets more work, and certainly. A, I think this film will help her. We uh, had her in our last movie. She was in um, a previous engagement as well, playing this sexy ex-showgirl in a very different part in this one where she's very uptight and yeah. angry. She is just the nicest person in the world. And as I said, she's married to Joseph Cal. And yeah. uh, she is someone, we had a great focus group uh, screening for the film, and someone said when Valerie Mahaffey walks into a movie, it's like someone opened a bottle of champagne. Yeah. That was very accurate. Yeah, she really, I, there is a, something in, in, internal in her that just just really inhabits a role very well and I again yeah this is not exactly the bubbly effervescent sort of Valerie Mahaffey that we've seen in other stuff but just always but it, but it comes to life you know yeah. there's still just like yeah. such life to her it, she's wonderful she really is this is a great cast I, I don't I don't know if I've uh, and Michael uh, Theralt is that Michael Mike Cario oh Wow, was I played a... Golem in Lord of the Rings, the musical, um, oh and uh, he's played Peter Pan at Stratford. He can do anything. Well, he's he's funny as the as the theater director. He does a nice job. I mean, everybody, again, I cannot uh, under underscore this uh, strongly enough that the cast is is uniformly very very good in this. Uh, uh, does a great job. Great depth and breadth of of sort of emotions and. And you know, in comedy and drama, um, I, I'm uh, all the best to you on this. And okay, I would say one quick thing: yeah. I really want to thank our distributor, Kino Lorber. Oh yes, um, in New York, they're the ones who picked up the movie. They're making all of this happen. They made the Gravitas Warner's deal, and they're getting it out in the cinemas. And we are very grateful to uh, distributors like that who pay attention to movies like ours. Yeah, I, and yes, good. Thank you for doing that. Well, all right. Well, unfortunately, we just kind of run out of time. Uh, Joan Carwigan, uh, thank you so much for being here. The film is If I Were You. It's in theaters on March 15th uh, here in Southern California. And as you said, VOD. Uh, is that coinciding with the release of it in the theaters? Yeah, I believe it's on now already on VOD. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. Thank uh, you. Take care. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.